0: Today, we're giving you another taste of Stanford E Corner's newest original podcast, Leap.
1: Forget the FOMO and the what if is next. Just make a decision to go somewhere, and you can always and you should always be reevaluating that decision.
2: And life is long. Yeah, there's going to be many decades of opportunity and perhaps different uh, positions to pursue.
0: Welcome to Leap. I'm Tina Selig. I'm passionate about helping people craft the futures they dream of creating. And that's what I do at Stanford University, where I teach classes on creativity, innovation, and entrepreneurship. This podcast takes a deep dive into how to launch your career by unpacking the often overlooked and undertaught soft skills critical to the success of every entrepreneur. In each episode, we'll invite two people from very different career stages to discuss real life scenarios.
2: I'm Josh Reeves, I'm the CEO co-founder of Gusto.
1: I'm Tess Hatch, and I'm an investor at Bessemer Venture Partners. Today we're discussing interviewing.
2: The word I love to use is a search for alignment, and I find one of the biggest pitfalls is folks thinking that they're there to package or present themselves or create a narrative versus just be themselves and share who they are, share what they're about. And in the context of hiring interviewing, it's always a search for alignment because the company's going to choose to make an offer, but the candidate's going to choose to accept or not. So both are always still making a choice.
1: But if you're interviewing for a very specific skill set, I think there's a breakdown between a cultural personality fit and then very specific tangible skills that that person or candidate needs.
2: Uh, so one way, at least I think about it, there's three dimensions to that alignment search. It's alignment around values, which are always very specific to that company and what they stand for. Alignment to motivation, what problem is trying to be fixed, and then alignment to skill set. And I always joke, if, if you only had the first two, uh, values and motivation, you would have a cheerleader on your team. So the skill set still does matter, right? So there has to be a need and something that they're going to go help with. But all too often, I think folks gravitate towards just the third one. And so spending time on that values and motivation
0: fit can make a big, big difference. It's important as an applicant to understand where a job fits relative to your skills, your passion, and the market. If something matches your skills in the market, but you aren't passionate about it, it's just a job. But if you find a role that taps into your skills and challenges you and lights up what you're passionate about, that might be the first step down your new career path. Finding a place that fits can be a challenge, but a surefire way to know whether it's a good fit or not is to learn from your interviewer. Show up prepared and be ready to ask questions about the company, the role, and your future colleagues. I've... Always found it fascinating when people show up to be interviewed and they haven't done even the basic homework. I mean, honestly, there is so much information online. And if people haven't taken a little bit of time to
1: prepare and understand
0: who they're talking to, it's a huge red flag for me.
1: Uh, I personally really enjoy when a company comes in and has read or watched some content so that we can have a deeper level of conversation. So really understanding not only the job you're looking for, the company you're pitching for, but the person that you are about to have that conversation with.
2: Yeah, I would totally agree. One thing I love is also to make sure you're you're very ready to be present because yeah, I think one of the biggest pitfalls in an interview is, you know, having your mind wander or think about other projects or activities. Like it's such a hopefully done right, like a high throughput conversation. You want to be really, really invested in it.
1: A way to do that immediately before the interview, I personally always love to show up early. And yes, I mentally do power poses in the lobby to bring in that confidence. I usually am not on my phone. There's something about getting engrossed. And I like when you walk out to greet that person in the lobby and them sitting there ready to go professional. And this is that first and only priority on their mind right now. Yeah,
2: they're present. They're ready. Present. And that also ties back to the questions they ask, too.
0: Being present is such a critical skill especially today when we have so many devices that can distract us from being focused on the here and now. Not only are you better prepared to engage with the person you're speaking with, but you're also paying attention to your environment, which is going to give you a lot more interesting information. If you're staring at your phone, you're missing a huge opportunity to learn something. I often tell interviewees that we're decorating the room with people and ask what piece of furniture they would be. It's fascinating to see how people think and how they interpret the question. I ask this question to be somewhat provocative, but it gives me a chance to see how they think on their feet. A good thing to practice before you head into your next interview.
1: I always think it's good for people to be able to answer Were you in a tough situation and how did you deal with it? Or what was a really good piece of feedback you got that Maybe it was tough to take, and how did you deal with that situation?
2: I love to ask why. Whenever you know, I kind of channel my inner four-year-old, if someone says something and it's like a very clean answer, I just go, why? Or what happened? Or what, what got you to that position? And then vice versa, obviously, if they ask me a question, I try to share the same.
0: What kind of questions should you be asking when you are being interviewed?
2: So you might have read a bunch online, you might have looked at the website, you might have looked at some videos, but now you're actually engaging in a discussion with an employee of that company, so there will be probably something on your mind related to either their mission, their strategy, their market, their landscape, that hopefully uh, is of curiosity to you. you read a description, but it was probably one page, and so there's a lot more, hopefully, interest on your part to figure out exactly what that role is and if it's something you're going to like or want to go do, perhaps for not just months, but years. And then probably something related to people and culture and team and, you know, what it's like to work in this organization. Because you're going to spend a lot of time with these people.
0: I remember years ago, Guy Kawasaki had this fabulous test. So, and I I love this. He called it the Stanford Shopping Center test. And the idea was that if you had interviewed someone that day and later you were at the Stanford Shopping Center and you saw them across the room, you know, across the hall – the, the question is, did you run up to them and say, test, 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 or you decide to leave and go to another mall? OK. And that test is like, do I actually want to be in the same room with them?
2: So I, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, one way I translate it, though, because I think there is a pitfall with that. Uh, approach, and it has so much good power to it as well. But I try to, again, ground it on, you know, you want to see this person because you share a value system. You want to see this person because you share a passion for whatever the company's doing. But sometimes people interpret that specific rule as, you know, the who you want to go hang out at a bar with or whatever, and that becomes almost a, a really bad way to think about it because it's now almost a personality alignment, and then people end up hiring people that are very, very similar to themselves. And so... I really try to ground it in values and motivations, at least for me, not the like hangout piece, uh, because that actually can lead to very non-diverse teams.
0: I've interviewed a lot of people over the years, and sometimes those people are incredibly different from me. I've noticed that occasionally I think, would I want to spend time with this person? And that ends up really biasing my opinion, even though the candidate might actually be the best fit for the job. Bringing in different perspectives from my team allows me to challenge those biases. One way I use to learn about candidates is to ask, when you hit rock bottom, what is the bottom made of? For example, some people might say it's made of water. Sometimes I land a beautiful dive and sometimes I do a belly flop. Another candidate might say that the bottom is made of rubber and they bounce back as soon as they fail. This is something I like to do in group interviews because each person will share what the bottom is made of for them. might be rubber or glass or quicksand, you name it. This allows the candidate to talk about situations that didn't work out as planned and how they responded. What if you've got... A real blank space. You know, you were out of work, you got fired, you know, maybe you had someone in your family who was sick and you had to stop out. How do you deal with those gotchas that you're afraid that it's going to look bad or the story's going to not make you look very positive?
1: It's tough. I don't know the answer to that. I do have a story, though, where I was incredibly impressed with a young individual creating. A company and starting his career, and we had gone through the process to basically give him a term sheet, which is investing money into his company. And he had a a major personal incident where he sat us down before the the the, the money was transferred, and shared the issue he was going with. And this really could have blown up this process, this this deal, and this this negotiation but being so open and transparent to something that eventually we would have found out or if we hadn't before afterwards would have caused some issues was really I thought big of him
2: be direct be raw be open you know be yourself you know i've done thousands and thousands of interviews you can tell when someone's not being that way very quickly it's impossible to fake it mm-hmm. and so if there is a 2 year gap then just say like here's what why that happened here is what i did in that time and you know again That's that's your life. You lived it, right? So hopefully it's something you're uh, at least happy to share with someone. Now, if there was a big learning from it or if there was a big thing that you thought you regretted from it, just say, I regret this or I didn't do that well or I could have done this better. And then share what you would have hoped you would have done differently and then how that drove your next chapter. Right. So that's all authentic. But, you know, don't hide from it. Don't shy away from it.
0: You know, you're so confident. It takes a lot of confidence to do that. I think for a young person who's going in and really needs this job, it is that is a hard thing to do. I mean, you're, you've you been out of school, you know, 13 years. You've run several companies. You've interviewed thousands of people. Uh, that's easy to say. I think it's really that is a tricky thing. And how do, how do you practice that?
2: I mean, if there's, I guess, one. Tip: There, it's it's again. We live our lives. We can't change the past, but we can think about what we learned from
0: those experiences. It's important to show how you've learned from your experiences by sharing what you went through. Practicing with friends, family, or even trusted coworkers can help you own your experiences. But how do you avoid swinging too far into your confidence? How do you authentically share your success stories without sounding arrogant? I think it's particularly an issue for women, often get accused of bragging more than men just because there our social norms about the way you communicate. But I'm curious, I mean, do you have situations where you hear people and you think, oh my God, they're bragging? And you think, how could they have presented their successes in a way that wasn't off-putting?
1: There's a way that you can present a situation you were in or something that you accomplished in a very factual way. I can run a mile in under seven minutes. Sounds differently than I run really fast and could easily beat you with my under seven-minute mile. So I think, one, in situations, especially in an interview... You're supposed to be humbly bragging or portraying and and explaining your accomplishments in the past. And yes, that is very hard for women, um, especially. And I hope women can shine and brag on one another. Of course, you don't have your cheerleader in the interview with you. uh, But sharing details of the story when necessary and facts when necessary.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think show, not tell. And that could apply as a blanket statement to this topic, because also the show is what's the story. The show is what's going to give the chance to dive deeper, have additional follow-up conversations and questions. So as much as possible, avoid sharing an outcome and focus more on the journey.
0: You know, one of those trick questions that often get asked is, you know, what's your biggest failure? Or mm-hmm. tell me about a time when, you know, things didn't work out. And so being asked to talk about a failure often is, oh, I worked too hard or, right, I'm too diligent. I mean, do you ask those questions, Josh?
2: Versions of it. I I want to know examples where someone has made mistakes and or, you know, where they've learned something and no one's perfect, right? So I think there's just different ways to get there. I mean, I don't personally use the word failure because that feels very jarring, but I say, when did something not go well? And, you know, if if someone can't think of things not going well, then, you know, very much they're in a more of a packaged state.
0: I have all of my students write failure resumes, essentially a summary of all their biggest screw-ups, personal, professional, and academic. And once they've listed them, they have to describe what they've learned from each situation. It's only by extracting lessons from each of these situations that you've actually learned how to move forward and start to recognize that failure isn't as scary as it seems. We're taught to celebrate success, but nobody teaches us how to confidently talk about failure by having everyone in the class share their vulnerabilities. It allows students to feel much more at ease and teaches them how to reframe their personal narrative. Failure is certainly a natural part of life, and it's how we respond that matters most. What if it's just not working out? I mean, there are a lot of people who are looking for jobs and they get frustrated. I mean, whether it's a downturn in the market or someone who got some bad advice about what sort of things to study and they come out of school and they're really struggling. What kind of guidance do you give people who are really having a hard time getting their foot in the door?
2: Yeah, I think this is uh, definitely more common than we would think. And, and the rejection or, or disappointment process can be a learning experience itself as people iterate to find the right job for them. If someone is experiencing many interviews and then not getting the position they want, try to talk to those interviewers and figure out what the specific flag or issue is. And if you absolutely notice a pattern there, you know, learn from that.
1: Relating this question to an entrepreneur that is pursuing venture funding and is is close to giving up and and, and doesn't have a next option, I would encourage taking a step back and asking, is venture capital the right avenue to finance my company? If you frame the question differently, there's so many other ways of rather than which VC do I want to work with, how do I want to get the necessary money to fund my company? taking a step back and reevaluating the end goal to finance your company or get a job and going about it a different way
2: you know i had someone a few years ago come to me when i was giving them advice and they were a couple years out of school and they said you know what i've only done this this one job for the last two years you know it's all i know how to do i don't think i can do anything else you know should i just stay or stay in this industry and i and i almost wanted to like you know, shake that person and say, look, you're, you know, two years out of school. You've done this one job for two years. Fast forward two years from now. Now you're four years out of school. You could know just as much about something else today you know nothing about as this thing that you're saying is all you know how to do. So just really think about life as as full of chapters, right?
1: Being a senior undergrad or graduating from school after a graduate degree It is so daunting, all of the next possibilities and and all of the various options. And some great advice Tina gave me was to just make a step. It doesn't necessarily potentially have to be in the linear long-term direction because you don't really know. But just make a decision somewhere. Forget the FOMO and the what if is next, just make a decision to go somewhere and you can always and you should always be reevaluating that decision.
2: And life is long, you know, like I said, at least my my wording is chapters uh you know, there's going to be many chapters in one's life, um, especially when someone's leaving school and maybe it's leaving high school and joining the workforce directly out of high school. You know, there's going to be many decades of opportunity and perhaps different uh, positions to pursue.
1: It doesn't feel like that when you're, you've are you been in school for your entire life and you feel like this next decision is the most important thing and the biggest decision of your life. But it is important to take a step back and realize there are so many chapters and you'll be having this decision so many more times, I think the biggest realization is you should always be questioning and always reevaluating where you're at, not just out of school, but throughout your entire life.
0: I see so many students who are stressed out about figuring out their life when they haven't even graduated from college yet. Keep in mind, your first job probably won't even be on your resume in 10, 15 years. It really doesn't matter. You just need to start somewhere. I think back to jobs I hated during the early part of my career, and those are the ones where I learned the most. I learned about myself, I learned about what I wanted to do, and certainly what I didn't want to do. They were incredibly valuable. The thing you need to remember is that you don't get a job. You get the keys to the building. If you're so focused on the specific job you're getting, you're missing out on a huge opportunity to look at the big picture. Once you're in the door, there are all sorts of other doors that you can open, leading to other opportunities even within the same organization. Leap is about finding the agency to thrive in our lives and careers. Remember, we create more value when we work together. So please spread the word about Leap and rate and review us on iTunes. Leap is a Stanford eCorner original series. The videos, podcasts, and articles on Stanford eCorner are designed to help you find the courage and clarity to see and seize opportunities. Stanford eCorner is led by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program and Stanford's Department of Management, Science, and Engineering. LEAP is produced by Ali Rico and Rachel Jolkowski. Jake Smith and Stanford Video are our editor and audio engineers. Susie Allen is our writer. Daniel Stusi is our designer and digital products manager. And I'm Tina Sealing. Thanks for listening.